Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Language Hacking Podcast. Today, we're talking with Jim and Mai from Spanish and Go, and we're going to be hearing several things about their story. Firstly, how they came together, and secondly, how they grew a business, and also um, some takeaways that you might have include like how to get used to other accents. They delve into how they uh, switched from Mexican Spanish to Puerto Rican Spanish. Um, we talked a little bit about what is the Day of the Dead in Mexico, and we also uh, dived into how to get immersed in a new culture. So uh, you can find out more uh, about them from the show notes. If you're enjoying this, make sure to that you're following us and you're subscribed in your podcast device of choice. And otherwise, without further ado, let's go on to today's episode. The links and resources mentioned in this episode can be found at languagehacking.com forward slash 54. Welcome to the Language Hacking Podcast from Fluent in Three Months. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. Today, we're very excited to be talking to Mai Larios and James Fricker, the second. Uh, James is a self-proclaimed gringo from Minnesota, which I love. I love that title. And Mai is a Mexican English and Spanish teacher who grew up in a small town in the state of Colima, Mexico. Together, they have formed Spanish and Go, which is an incredible uh, resource for Spanish language learners. They created a podcast, a YouTube channel, some courses, and something that I'll be asking them about, a immersion, an immersion retreat for Spanish learners. So let's get started. Welcome, both of you. We're so grateful to have you here. Thanks for having us. Yes, thank you. Do you want to tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do? You want to go? You want yeah. to start, Mai? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I am Mai. My name is actually Maira, but my friends and family have always called me Mai. So I go by Mai. Um, even though some people call me Maya, even Maria, <laughs> I'm used to that. Um, I am a teacher, like you said. I grew up in a small little town in the Pacific um, side of Mexico, which is called Colima. Um, not a lot of people go there. It's nice. We have the beach there. We go coconuts. Um, we grow coconuts and limes, and we have a volcano. I mean, it's a, it's a nice place to to grow up, I think. And since I was very young, I knew I wanted to be a teacher. I didn't know what I wanted to teach, but since I was very little, I remember just like playing with my dolls and I was always the teacher and I, playing with my cousins. And I was always just like, you do this and you do that. <laughs> and so uh, when I was a teenager, I decided, you know what, I really enjoy um, learning English. I really like reading about, I don't know, different people in English and like watching TV shows in English. And so I decided that I wanted to become an English teacher. And I went to college there in my hometown. But I was very nervous about speaking the language. Like, I was very shy growing up. And when I decided to become a teacher, I was like, how is this going to work? Because if I want to teach English, I want to be able to speak it fluently. And I have to stand in front of a group every single day and be speaking the language, right? How am I going to do that? <laughs> and so the first time I 
had the opportunity to travel outside of Mexico was for like a summer course that I did in Canada. And there I met a lot of people who were also in my situation. They wanted to learn English. They wanted to um, be able to communicate freely without like hesitation and being nervous about speaking. So that gave me a lot of um, um, courage maybe to speak the language and to be like, yes, I can do it. I have put myself in this situation where I have to speak the language. You know, I had to um, like get out of the house where I was staying for the summer and take the transportation and go to restaurants and do all these things, go to the stores in English, things that I had never um, been in the in the uh, situation of needing to do. So that gave me like a lot of the strength that I needed. And then I went back to Mexico. I continued my education. And since there, I knew that I wanted to do something kind of like this. But then I met Jaime and um, yeah. Maybe you can start there. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm Jim Fricker. I'm from Rochester, Minnesota. I grew up a monolingual gringo, like most people in the United States, it seems. And I used to own a recording studio. I'm a musician, played in a bunch of different bands and recorded many as well. And I always wanted to travel in my uh, teenage years, I was lucky enough to tour with one of my favorite bands. So I was an intern for my uncle doing merchandise for the band Corn, and we get to travel all over the country. And I get to meet a lot of really cool, interesting people. And that fired me up to eventually travel one day. But my career steered me towards having a recording studio, which involves having a lot of equipment. So I was kind of stuck in one place. And I was always left wondering, well, how am I going to break out of my hometown? So in my early 20s, I got to thinking about it. I'm like, what can I do that will put me on the road? And I started looking at different ways to make money online. And I started thinking about, well, what makes the most sense? What would get me or give me the ability to be able to travel to as many places as possible? So I decided I should pick up Spanish again. I learned a little bit of it in high school, didn't remember much, but it seemed like the logical choice when uh, trying to learn a language that would allow me to visit as many countries as possible. And so I started on my journey of learning Spanish. I told a bunch of friends about it, like, hey, I'm going to learn Spanish. They're all skeptical because most of my friends, they just speak one language and they're like, okay, Jim, that that sounds like a great project, but uh, we'll see. And some of my coworkers at a part-time job I had recommended that I check out italki.com. And so I did. I went on the website and back then you could just message people directly. It was almost like Facebook, but just for languages specifically. I don't think they have this feature anymore. And there I met Mai. Mm-hmm. And I had started with a few other resources as well. Um, Right before getting on italki, like I was reading Margarita Magical's Magic Key to Spanish, which was really useful for me starting out. But it wasn't until I met Mai that I was really beginning to um, gain some traction 
and get somewhere with my uh, language speaking ability in Spanish. And so meeting her was really the catalyst for becoming fluent because from there, you know, we were friends chatting online for about six months until eventually she invited me down to Mexico and I traveled outside of the country for the first time, meeting a stranger from the internet, basically back when it wasn't uh, such a common thing to do. And we met up and we really hit it off. Uh, we you know, began a romantic relationship rather than just being friends. And we figured like, how can we continue this? Cause when I went down to Mexico, we got to go all over the place, visit all these different beautiful parts of Mexico that I never even knew existed prior to my visit. And we thought, well, we have to figure out a way to uh, combine forces. And so that's what we did. We started Spanish and Go. Obviously, Mai has the teaching background. I have the recording background. And so we were able to combine our passions of travel and recording and teaching all together into one project. And love. I mean, you combined you combined by getting married, right? To your Yeah. Yeah. Great. <laughs> Yeah, I, I skipped that part. No, no, yeah, we've been married for uh, eight years now. Wow. So um, going back to how you started Spanish and Go and how you created a, a business from that, because, um, you know, loads of people listening would love to get into language learning as a profession. And there's just no, I like if they have something along the lines of the skill set that you guys have, like being able to produce the content, and also knowing enough of the language to teach, how would you recommend they get into them? And how did Spanish and, and Go grow as a company? I would say that you have to try things out. Like if you have this idea of doing something, you just have to go for it, right? When we decided that we wanted to create something together, this was back in 2012, um, 2011. Um, we wanted to start with a podcast. And so we were all like, yes, we're going to have a podcast because we were influenced by other people with podcasts that we we were listening to. I mean, podcasting wasn't all that common back then. And we thought it was a, a great way of learning languages. But then after recording the first 10 episodes, which we never released, we were like, hmm, we're going to need a little bit more money. We're going to need maybe some equipment. Maybe we should start a YouTube channel. And so because back then everybody was like, oh, video is the future. Everyone is going to want a uh, video for like no matter what you're trying to do uh, for every company, you're going to want to do a video. So we were like, OK, then we are going to start a YouTube channel. But, you know, the equipment is a little bit more expensive. So we decided to save work for a little bit and then um, start with the YouTube channel. So we waited for a few years while we got married and we started the um, my residency and then all of that um, immigration paperwork uh, that we are still going through. <laughs> And then, yeah, we, we decided to start with a YouTube channel and our idea was to like create content that people were looking for. Things that like we knew we wanted to focus on traveling, like Spanish for travelers. It wasn't like anything about grammar or like any courses. So 
I think that is also important for you to decide, like if you want to start a project, be very specific with what you want to do. Like, who is this for? Who is going to be watching your content? From there, you can start creating what you are going to put out into the world. Yeah. And we experimented with the medium quite a bit. Like we started with the idea of a podcast, but we didn't release it right away. And then we went to YouTube and some of the first videos we did with that were totally lost. Like, what do we do here? But I think it comes down to when you're just starting out, no one cares about you or who you are. They want something of substance, something that can help them. What's in it for them, right? So when we started creating how-to videos and real world situations, that's when the channel really started to uh, pick up and take off. So we would sit down at a restaurant in Mexico, for example, and order food. And there was no, um, what am I trying to say? There was no uh, script. We just recorded the situation as you would order a meal in Spanish in Mexico, capturing you know what the waiter was saying and what we were saying. And then we would show that in our video and then break it down with some voiceover dialogue and text on the screen. Like these are the types of phrases you're going to need in order to be able to order. And we did that with a number of other videos, how to go shopping in Spanish, how to ask for directions. And those videos uh, really helped the, the channel take off. And then as you help people, people start to care a little bit more about who you are as a person because you've already done something for them. It's like you've done a favor for them. So I feel like the medium doesn't matter as much as trying to find a way that you can help your audience. Identify what sort of person you want to help and then find the best way you possibly can to help them, whether that's through video or podcast or whatever the case may be. Mm -hmm. But with YouTube, you have the benefit of the algorithm, right? That can uh, share your content with many, many people. Uh, podcasting doesn't exactly work the same way. So that's why it's useful to go from maybe an algorithm based platform over to a podcast later, which is what we ultimately did. And having two folks that have grown up monolingual and then learned the second language really gives you the insight into what is needed. For instance, my, when you went to Canada, you didn't know how to go grocery shopping in English. So you remember that, right? You remember the thing, the, the stumbling blocks. And I think for language learners, I, there's almost like this idea that if I learn 500 words a day for six months, then I'll be able to walk into anywhere and speak. And that just isn't how it works. Uh, and I think one of my light bulb moments was when I was in a restaurant in Italy and this person spoke, the waiter spoke perfect English. He could tell me about how the chef prayed on the meal and then, you know, sprinkled a little bit of Parmesan cheese that was blessed from the heavens. And then I asked him about his, like where, where he grew up and his English fell apart because he had a language island. And so what your videos are creating are language islands. This is how you go shopping. And then the same, in the same token that speak from day one, which is just go to the grocery store and try and make mistakes. That's what you did with your videos, right? They weren't perfect the first few times. So here's my question to you, Jim, when you met Mai, you know, you had been talking for six months, learning uh, the language. Now you go to Mexico, you meet this effervescent beauty that is to become your wife. And you're obviously not fluent in Spanish at that point, right? That's correct. Okay. So yeah, so you're, you're learning Spanish while you're talking to her, but now, from what I understand, you speak Spanish in, in the home, right? 
how did you make the shift from first where mostly an English couple to English speaking couple to now we're a Spanish speaking couple? How did you do that? Because many, many couples that are bilingual want to know. That's a great question. Honestly, it's a little difficult for me to remember exactly how it went because for as long as I can remember, my seemed to push me towards speaking Spanish as much as possible. Like anytime I, I think about my and I'm out on my own, my brain just switches to Spanish because almost all of my experiences with her have been in Spanish. And so I, I think that's really interesting. I think she weaned me off English as fast as she could because often I would ask her a question and she would just respond to me in Spanish. And so I was learning more and more based on the context and repetition, how to respond in Spanish and understand more and more. So I think I was getting so much input to where through our conversations and through my study, I picked up more and more on how to respond in Spanish. And I just kind of slowly weaned myself off of English, if that makes sense. Do you remember exactly my, like in the early, early days, obviously you had to speak some English to me. But as far back as I can remember, we've been having, it feels like we've been having conversations in Spanish almost since we met. Yeah. And I feel it was um, mostly because that's why we met, because you wanted to learn Spanish and I just wanted to practice my English. Right. Um, I had some friends who were very fluent in so many different languages and they recommended that I uh, find people on italki. And so that's how we that's how we met. Um, and so, yeah, since, since the beginning, like meeting Jaime, as I call him, <laughs> um, it was more about like, yeah, he wants to learn Spanish and my, like, I already spoke some English. Um, so I think we just focused on like developing your Spanish because also like the first time we met, it was in Mexico. He met my mom the very first time, um, we met and we were having these like super weird conversations, right? Like I would go in the shower and they would be right outside the shower trying to talk to each other and asking me because my mom doesn't speak English. I mean, she knows a little bit, some words here and there, uh, but she would go like, my, how do you say this? Blah, 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 in English. And so I would answer and then she would tell Jim whatever she was trying to tell him. And then Jim would be like, my, how do you say this in Spanish? And so I was all the time translating. And I don't know, maybe my brain was just like, oh, it'd be better if you just stick to Spanish. <laughs> Easier for you. Uh, yeah. And yes. Yeah. I think since day one, Spanish has been like the, the, um, the stronger language in our relationship. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely think of it as like a weaning off of English or away from English in almost every case. Because even when I didn't know how to say something in Spanish, my has been so patient. She would just look at me and she'd say, Jaime, you know how to say this. Just think about it. And she might give me like a tip, like, okay, it starts with this. I have to think it through. And so my motivation to learn kept me going, right? Like I didn't want to, speaking English felt like almost like I was giving up in a way. So I had to push myself to figure out how to say what I wanted to say in Spanish. And I think that made it stick a lot more too. When you, you have to think about it and go along with it. Not just, how do you say this every time? The opportunities where you're able to think it through and say, okay, 
how, how could I say this even if it came out really sloppy? <laughs> that, that helps a lot um, because when you get a response and you get the thing you're looking for, you move the conversation along or you're able to buy the thing or, or ask for directions. That's like, yeah, I, I, I got it at least enough for the other person to understand what I was trying to say. Excellent. And of course, this all happened in Mexico where uh, my is like, this is her comfort zone. This is where she grew up. But uh, from there, you guys have moved on to other Spanish speaking countries. So I'm curious, how was that a learning process for both of you, for my just to just to a new culture, even without having to deal with the language issue and uh, for Jim to start kind of adjusting to different kinds of Spanish? And I think you guys have even a project to visit every Spanish speaking country. Is that right? Yes, yes. that's the plan. And now that the world is opening up again, we can't wait to carry on with that. But yeah, since um, spending time in, in Mexico and, and going through the immigration process, we have uh, moved to Puerto Rico. So that's our home base now. And moving there was definitely a bit of a shock for both of us because the Spanish is so different there. And uh, Mai, maybe you want to talk about that a little bit, how it was for you. I know for me, when we first moved there, I was really frustrated because I felt like I had to learn Spanish all over again. I felt like I had a pretty good grasp of the language where I could understand the vast majority of what anybody said to me in Mexico. And then all of a sudden, I was so confused in almost any conversation with anybody because the accent was so different from what I was used to hearing in Mexico. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was very interesting. Um, the first time we visited Puerto Rico, we were just there like on, on vacation. We wanted to stay like two months. We ended up just staying one. Um, and then Maria, the hurricane happened and we were lucky to be like leaving Puerto Rico as the storm was <laughs> getting uh, there. So yeah, we left like a week or two before the mm-hmm. storm hit. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I feel like it was interesting because I felt the connection with like the, the Spanish culture, um, how the cities or the towns are built is very similar to how they are in Mexico too. You know, like the little uh, main garden with the church and then like the um, government buildings right there, the tourist um, um, office right there, and then like shopping all around. Right. Um, so I thought, oh, this is, this is just like Mexico. But then when speaking with people, I mean, I feel like I look Puerto Rican, if you want to say, like I look Mexican, I look Latin. Um, So people immediately knew that I wasn't from there when they heard me speak like, oh, where are you from? Are you Colombian or are you Mexican? Um, But just like if you look at me, you wouldn't think that I'm like a foreigner in Puerto Rico. But the language is so interesting. I had I don't think I had like any friends, like any Puerto Rican friends, or I didn't have all that like much experience with the language. I could understand most of it, but there were some words that I had no idea, you know, that I had to just like learn through the context. And I was like, ah, okay, I guess this is what that means. Hmm, Okay, interesting. And so I have this huge list, um, even me as a... um, native Spanish speaker, I have a huge list of Puerto Rican words 
that are just like new, that were new to me. And I wrote them down and I'm like, um, I think this is what it means. I would write down the meaning of the words and then I would check online. Ah, okay. Ah, I was wrong. This means something else. So I did also have to do a little bit of like studying <laughs> to, to be more comfortable there. But yeah, it, it is interesting. Yeah. To me, it almost reminds me of when you know how to read music. So for any musicians listening, you know how to read music on one instrument. But as soon as you switch to another instrument, it's like, wait, hold on a second. Where are the notes on this instrument? I know how to read it, but how do I make that connection with switching from guitar where the note G is, you know, on the third fret of the sixth string and then the G on a piano? You have to, you know how to read music but there's a little bit of relearning to do. So I guess for me, it was all about just identifying what the locals were doing that was tripping me up and figuring out, oh, okay, they don't really pronounce the S's like people in Mexico do. They they like breathe them instead of como estas, it's like como esta. And that takes some getting used to. And it really threw me off at first, but uh, over time, I've been able to make those connections say, oh, yeah, they always do this um, when they're speaking. Another thing that is confusing is they they incorporate a lot of Spanglish or code switching, actually both, <laughs> which can be really confusing because you might hear a word that if it were said in like a perfect, you know, like, I guess, uh, Midwestern. Well, I'm not saying the Midwestern accent is uh, the best accent, but if I heard someone from my home state say that word, I would say, oh, okay, yeah, I know exactly what you're saying. But in the context of a of a phrase in Spanish in Puerto Rico, where a random word will get thrown in in English with a Spanish accent, it can really uh, throw you off if you're not ready for it. So they'll say things like uh, parking instead of parking. And in Mexico, it'd be estacionamiento, right? <laughs> or um, I'm sure we could think of a ton of different examples um but they have the spanglish and they also have the code switching and they also have different vocabulary and that combined just um can be really frustrating when you're a language learner <laughs> but now we've made puerto rican friends and like we are now more prepared to listen for those things and and figure things out from there yeah <laughs> yeah i think people imagine that loan words which is what you're talking about right you're saying the word with a, an accent and it's, it's been ingratiated into the, into the, um, the vocabulary of, of native speakers, you'd think it would be easy, but it's not, it's absolutely not. And so this kind of, this brings me to an interesting point. Cause I think we're talking about a lot of times when I'm helping our challengers in uh, the challenge and I'm coaching them, I'm saying learn language islands, which is, for example, I love to talk about a language learning. I don't care even if you're learning a language or not. I want to talk about language learning. So I learned all the vocabulary around language learning in French and Spanish. So when I'm talking to someone, if the if the conversation's going awry, like they're starting to talk about physics and I have no vocabulary for that, I bring it back to language learning. Exactly. Now, what you're talking about is also something that I think I'm going to coin today and patent tonight before this goes out, before this gets published, which is cultural islands. So here we have a native speaker and someone that's fluent in Spanish moving to a new cultural aspect of a Spanish speaking 
area and it's a whole new world, right? The slang that you're using is not only just slang and for fun, it's slang that's necessary, right? There are certain words that in order for you to get what you want, you need to know that word. So what I'd like to, um, what I do as a secret, I, I didn't even know that I did it, is I get really um, interested and focused on one cultural island. So for example, um, Day of the Dead is a cultural island that just blows my mind, that tradition. As a practitioner that treats patients for anxiety, depression, post-traumatic stress disorder, I'm always interested in emotional aspects and how a particular culture handles them. Well, Day of the De Dead is this amazing example of how this particular group of people process grief. And it's got these beautiful traditional things in it. It's got a mix of cultures, you know, the, the um, Spanish Catholicism and indigenous countries. So what I'd love to hear about is just a few questions about Day of the Dead. First of all, can you tell us what it is? And then I have like two more questions after that about it specifically that I haven't, I haven't yet um, understood. So what is Day of the Dead? It's a celebration of life, I would say. Um, you know, maybe you've heard people say that like Mexicans, we are all about partying and it's all about just like getting together with friends and yeah, just like or family members and have a good time. It's basically that we really love spending time with our loved ones. And I feel like that doesn't end with death. So I feel like that's, that's what day of the dead is. Yeah. And I think for, I was, what I did is I took a book called a Chicano juniors day of the dead adventure, which is a child children's book. And I, it was illustrated by my tutor's brother. And so I took the book and I just went page by page with my tutor and talked about day of the dead. So we'd have like a little fact, like abuela puts marigolds out and you know, these, these flowers are important. And then he would tell me, yes, my grandmother used to do this and this and this. And he goes, yes, I used to get sick from eating all the sugar skulls. <clears throat> now we're saying all of this in Spanish. So I'm extremely interested, but I'm also learning about this idea that maybe your, your son was 21 and he passed away and you have a photo of him and you, he passed away four years ago, but you are still able to process and enjoy and celebrate his life and feel the sad and the good together. Now, what I noticed from one of your videos, which we'll put in the show notes as well, was you went to this island where there were women and men sitting by grave sites all night long. My question is, these folks that are sitting by the grave sites, are they praying? Are they talking to the dead? Are they meditating? Are they sleeping? What are they doing when they're holding that vigil? I think it depends on the, on the person. Um, most people start by praying or they are together there with other family members or friends. And yeah, they may have like dinner there, just like a little celebration there where they all just hang out and whoever wants to leave, they, they go home and stay, spend the night um, at home. But whoever wants to stay, then yeah, they start maybe praying or just speaking very quietly, like some people do in the cemetery. So they start just like, um, I don't know, the, the atmosphere changes when most people leave and then you are just there in the cemetery with the people who are going to spend the night there. Um, and yeah, some people might start praying, um, but other people just stay there and yeah, maybe do some like kind of like, um, meditation. If you, if you say, um, if you want to call it that, um, and 
yeah, some people just sleep. I guess it, it depends on, on the person. Some people bring mariachi and the party never ends. <laughs> so it's it's great that you were able to share that on your YouTube channel and give people this glimpse into Mexican culture. And uh, obviously there's going to be a lot of things that you're going to discover as you explore other Spanish speaking countries. So what kind of plan do you have to be able to integrate yourself into those cultures to have a really, truly deep understanding of them, to be able to share it with the world and also for your own benefit in terms of like uh, a plan of action to maybe learn the local uh, d dialect differences of Spanish. Uh, do you have any any kind of uh, things in mind that you're going to implement in the future for those countries? Yeah, that's a great question. So we like slow travel. So we want to be able to spend a fair amount of time in each country. It's hard to say how much time is enough time to spend in Spain to get an idea of what it's like culturally and linguistically, because obviously that even changes from region to region. But one thing we like to do is find other influencers or authors or podcasters who are doing something that we think is interesting and to team up with them and learn a little bit more about their country through what they're doing and uh, collaborate and be able to say, hey, for example, we, we plan on doing a collaboration in Puerto Rico with someone who turned out to be our neighbor. He's a chef. And we haven't talked a lot about Puerto Rican food, but the fact that he found us and then we discovered, oh, wow, he also is a chef and has his own YouTube channel and everything. It's like, oh, that's a perfect opportunity to show uh, something about Puerto Rican food that we wouldn't be able to to do otherwise. Otherwise, we would just go to a restaurant and be like, well, this is what's on the menu. We can tell you that Puerto Ricans eat lots of uh, plantain-based foods and lots of meat, but uh, we don't eat meat. So it's kind of hard to portray exactly what those dishes are like without being able to team up with somebody else who says, no, this is the authentic stuff. Like This is what Puerto Ricans really love. And that's really the best way to move forward, I think, for for us is to collaborate with other content creators, whether they be chefs with, you know, their own Instagram account and they're just sharing their different recipes or uh, local journalists, whatever the case may be, there, there's always a story to be told there. And it's so much more interesting coming from someone who's passionate about their country and um, sharing that with the world. And so moving forward, the plan is to spend, you know, at a minimum, uh, a month in each country and maybe longer for, for some that, um, there's a lot of interest in, for example, you know, Spain, Colombia, Mexico, there's a lot of content to, to go through there. Whereas maybe not as many people visit Uruguay, although I'm really interested in visiting it personally. And so, uh, moving forward. Yeah. That's kind of our plan of attack. The, the, uh, goal is to be able to share something not only of the language, but of the culture and the food in our videos as well. And we often do a little bit of uh, code switching in the videos so people can pick up on some of the local uh, vocabulary as well. And then uh, we'll be able to share more of the, the language by interviewing people on the podcast when we're in each different Spanish speaking country. And of course, you know, we have the transcripts for that. So that can help for anybody who might have trouble with the accent because, you know, some accents are, are much more prominent, I guess, in, in the content space, right? When you watch something on Netflix, 
usually the options for Spanish are going to be like a Mexican Mexican dubbed uh, version or a Spanish from Spain version, but there's not too much from like Chile, for example. So you might not have the same sort of exposure to some of these other countries. Speaking of exposure, for those of us that are not um, running a podcast and the listeners that want to do slow travel and don't want to just stay at all the tourist spots, um, there are things like immersion retreats that are a really great way to have experts that know how to do that. And you can kind of plunk into their schedule and kind of be um, taken around to the, the, the deep, beautiful little corners of a city. And don't you have an immersion retreat? I, I saw it online. I'm very upset that the intermediate is sold out right now, but you said there'll be more, so I won't hold a grudge. But it, it, you mentioned like a, an authentic culinary tour. So I'm guessing you guys are foodies. So you feed your students a lot. Is that, do you just gain 20 pounds during the immersion retreat? What happens? Yes and no, because we walk a lot too. But yes, every single day is like an eat till you drop <laughs> kind of day for the most part. You know, Mexico is so rich in um, its gastronomy. Every single place you go to has like their traditional dish and then all of the other dishes that are um, very um, common everywhere in Mexico. And so, yeah, learning through the food is like a great way because you taste something and then you also have, you know, you can see the ingredients they're using to prepare the dish and you also have the taste part of it and the smell. So you are learning through your senses, like all of them. And we think that's um, a really great way of learning. We also know that when you eat with someone, when you share a meal with someone, you make a stronger connection with them. Um, so yeah, in our immersion retreats, we, we have 10 people um, staying with us at a house that is kind of like a hotel. Everyone has uh, some personal space um, and then we take lessons in the morning. We talk about things that we are going to experience throughout the day and then we go out into the world and then practice what we learned that day. Um, we do some exploring. We talk about the culture, um, a lot of tours and sightseeing. And then um, in the evening, we have some free time. Um, some people like to research the places um, where we have the retreats and then they want to go on their own, maybe try a restaurant that they saw online, a museum that they want to visit. And so they have some time to do that. Um, we also have like um, just like, um, what do we call them? Just time where we we are always doing something, but it's not um, like optional activities. That's what I wanted to say. Um, in case you feel a little lost and you don't really feel ready to go on your own and explore, we're always doing something. Maybe go to a bar and try some traditional Mexican drinks like pulque and mezcal. We'll, we can do that too. And it's it's a great time. Yeah, we really enjoy um, these little um, experiences and we are excited to be able to host them again after the pandemic and all of that. <laughs> 
Yeah, we have a couple coming up this fall. As you mentioned, Elizabeth, we've sold out our second week. So what we do is have two weeks of immersion uh, retreats. The first week is generally beginner to intermediates. And then even within those groups, we divide people up. So we have our group class and then we'll even divide you up. If you're a little bit more beginner, you'll have um, time to focus on uh, lessons that suit your level. And then we have the second week, which is intermediates to advanced speakers. And that is much more of an all Spanish immersion experience. But what these feel like to me, uh, Maya and I built them from the ground up. When we take people to Mexico or bring people to Mexico when we're there, it feels a lot like my first time in Mexico, where we're getting to go out and explore all these different things, learn about the culture, but connect everything to the language. And in a way, it's a bit better than maybe my first experience because we start the, the day out with the lesson, which um, has to do with what we're going to do that day. So you get sort of mentally prepared for what you're going to experience later on in a real immersion experience. Great stuff. And as you've um, had all these years of uh, helping people learn languages, I'm curious how you've developed your own understanding of uh, of course, a, a question we like to ask, ask everybody as they come on the podcast of what language hacking means to you. Mm. I think communication is key. Um, we're often talking about how important um, learning a language is. But for us, it's about communicating with someone else, like traveling and being able to have a conversation with the locals and so I think language hacking for me um, happens when you find the resources that work for you in order to help you with your goal. Uh, it also, like it's motivation is super important. You need to know why you are doing something and that is going to help you get there. Or we always say like there's no... Uh, um, El camino es el destino. We say like the journey is the destination. It's not that you are one day going to like end your learning process, right? It's an ongoing thing that like I've been learning English for over 10 years and I, I still learn things every single day. I still make mistakes. I still have chances to improve on my language. So, um, yeah, language hacking, I think it's it's different for each person, but you definitely need to know your reasons for learning the language. And also you need to be motivated towards like getting there, even though <laughs> there's no like place, like an end yeah, thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the best language hacks for me might not be the best for everybody, but knowing what your reason for wanting to learn the language is. And then forming a connection with somebody who speaks that language natively. I mean, obviously that was huge for me, but it gives you that constant motivation to try to improve so that you can better communicate with someone you actually care about. And that is a huge hack. I mean, I've been learning German for the past three years and I haven't made the same amount of progress simply because I think because I haven't made a real connection with somebody who speaks German natively, who has the patience to help me develop my language speaking as well. You know, especially when you're just starting out, if you can't have um, 
a fluent conversation. Well, some people just don't have the patience uh, for that if you're trying to have a, a real relationship with somebody. So if you can find somebody who can be your language exchange partner, that can be one of the biggest ways to speed up your language learning for sure. Excellent. So this has been very interesting. And of course, we'll make sure that uh, people can check out your stuff in the uh, show notes. And I'm curious, just as we wrap up, are there any other projects or plans you have for Spanish and Go, uh, as well as, of course, uh, being able to visit other countries? Like how how else do you see the future of your Spanish uh, learning enterprise expanding? Well, yeah, the the big news we just got recently is that uh, my citizenship meeting is coming up her interview. And so soon she should be a uh, United States citizen, which means that we're able to travel uh, for as long as we want, pretty much anywhere we want. And that's something we've been working toward for a long time because uh, we've been slowed down not only by the pandemic, but also by the fact that we need to be in the US at least half of the year to stay good with uh, USCIS. And so moving forward, we're, we're excited to visit, I think maybe top on your list, my is Costa Rica, and I'm excited to go to Ecuador, really all of the countries, but you know, we got to start somewhere. And so um, we're looking forward to that. We're looking forward to announcing more Spanish immersion retreat opportunities in Mexico. Right now we have three locations. One's Guadalajara, the other is Guanajuato City, which is my personal favorite city in Mexico. I think it's probably the most beautiful city and culturally rich city in in the country and uh, Mexico City as well, which I mean, has tons of history and culture uh, as well. So we plan on continuing with the, the weekly podcast. You can find us on Learn Spanish and Go uh, anywhere you listen to podcasts and on the YouTube channel, as well as the website SpanishAndGo.com. Excellent. Thank you very much. And as always, people can check out the show notes and we'll make sure we're linking to all of these. And uh, it's been very, very interesting. And uh, until the next time, we'll wish everybody a very happy language learning. Happy language learning. So like with every episode, we like to uh, have a, a quick chat afterwards as the hosts to see what takeaways we had from this? So I'm curious, Elizabeth, what takeaway did you take from this chat we had today? So I felt like we had, I had two takeaways from this episode. The first was creating projects when you attempt to travel. Like when you go for a trip, you don't have to just go to the same restaurants and places that all the tourists go to. You can decide on something that really floats your boat. I had one friend that was a meditator, so he went to all the Zen temples in Paris, Zen temples in Paris. And that is what they did here. The second thing is creating long-term relationships in the target language. So my French is definitely stronger than my Spanish because I have friends that I talk to weekly on Skype that just, they were language exchange partners and now they're two of my closest friends. And because of that, I'm much more fluent in French than I am in Spanish. All right. And my takeaway, I, I kind of uh, agree with you about the uh, you don't necessarily need to have the likes of a podcast, but I like uh, the parallel there that they had with their business, that they tried to start a podcast and they had like 10 episodes and it just wasn't working for them. And they switched to something else. They switched to making YouTube videos. 
And I think like as a content creator myself, this is a lesson I've learned too, that I um, initially tried to like, my passion is YouTube, but I really grew my business from starting a blog first. And then that's kind of spilled back into my um, YouTube channel over time. So I think people can take that away with them, whether they're starting their own business or whether they're learning a language that sometimes even if your passion is this one thing, if your passion is to speak this language, maybe if you have a side project that somehow builds that up, you can get back to it. So the first time you try something and it doesn't go the way you expect, you shouldn't use that as a reason to give up. It just means that uh, maybe you can still build up that thing, but you just have to take a different path. You have to learn other skills and then you'll be able to come back to it. So I think that's a good lesson in um, in both building a business and in learning something, because I can think of many parallels with my own language learning where I had to go off and learn something else and then come back and learn the thing I cared about the most. So that will be my takeaway. So I hope uh, people enjoyed today's episode. I hope you found it interesting. And thanks again for following along with us on your podcast reader of choice. And you can always leave us a review at languagehacking.com slash review. So until the next time, happy language learning. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Language Hacking Podcast. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you found this episode valuable and want to help us out, please leave a review at languagehacking.com forward slash review. The Language Hacking Podcast is presented by Benny Lewis and Shannon Kennedy and produced by David Sobel, with special thanks to the Fluent in Three Months team. The theme music was written and performed by Shannon Kennedy. Find the show notes at languagehacking.com forward slash podcast. Thanks for listening and happy language learning.